This is Pod Populi, podcast for the people. Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I have a special guest. Her name is Dr. VJ, and she's been practicing dentistry for over 20 years and currently has her own practice. She is also the host of the podcast Mind, Body, Mouth. And in her practice, as well as her podcast, she focuses on the connection between the mouth and the rest of the body. On her website, mindbodymouth.com.au, she quotes, having a healthy complement of well-aligned teeth is more than just eating too much sugar in genetics. So welcome, Dr. Vijay. Thank you so much for Thank being you. on my podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Sarah. And I had the pleasure of being on your podcast. Thank you so much. And I thought we could talk about our mouth and how it affects our body. And I know that one thing that you practice is even advising people and women how to take care of their body's preconception through pregnancy and then ultimately once the baby is born. So if we could just start by talking about preconception and your recommendations about how to help grow a healthy mouth with good alignment, even in the womb or before the womb, I would appreciate your recommendations. Absolutely. I'd just like to preface that by saying I am well aware that not everybody does have the luxury of preparing their body preconception. And for some people, it doesn't happen. So it can be a stressful task to maintain for years and years. But I guess the suggestions I'm making will just ensure optimal health anyway, even for the individual, not just for a potentially growing baby. So I would suggest, first of all, getting your vitamins and minerals checked out. So vitamin D is one of the really important vitamins for um, immune support, but also for healthy development of the teeth and jaws, optimum calcium absorption. Um, zinc is also a really important vitamin. Magnesium as well. I don't think it's possible to get a magnesium blood test everywhere in the world, but we are chronically low in magnesium. So those are really important things. Also ensuring that a lot of our calories are coming from non-processed sources. So I always say you want to eat food that doesn't have an ingredient list. If it comes in a packet, if it has a lot of ingredients, it's something you want to keep to a minimum. So making sure your plate is colorful. We hear that a lot, the rainbow plate. Most of your carbohydrates ideally would come from vegetable sources, not from processed sources. So you can have a small amount of rice, a small amount of pasta, but ideally predominantly vegetable sources and good quality proteins, eating organic wherever possible too, mm. and drinking lots of water. The only drink I really recommend, to be honest, is water. I'm happy for people to have, 
you know, the, the gut-friendly drinks, kefir, kombucha, um, but not, not excessively because they do contain sugar and kombucha is quite acidic as well. So those would be the main things. And if a woman does suffer from a lot of morning sickness during pregnancy, that can be really challenging. They may not be able to keep the vitamins and minerals down. And yes, they may be compromised. And the last thing I want to do is create more guilt for women who can already be feeling very stressed at, at quite a vulnerable time of their lives. So this is the ideal we aim for. But if you can't do it, there's ways we can overcome it later on. Absolutely. I talk a lot about water in my practice. I think that it's underrated. You know, we don't, I try to remind people that we are 60 to 70% water and we need to replenish that. And it affects so much our sleep, our energy, our teeth, our body. And so I'm glad that you mentioned the water. Yeah, I think it is really important. A general rule that I heard somewhere is a liter per, per is it 20 kilos of body weight. So the average 60 kilo woman would aim for three liters a day. I know I very rarely get to that. And then if you have coffee or tea, which is a diuretic, you want to, I guess, double your water intake to compensate for the diuretic effect. But something like herbal tea is not diuretic, so therefore that can contribute to your water intake or if you're having a lot of soups and so forth. But you also need to be careful not to have too much water because that can have a detrimental effect as well. So it is very much dependent on your weight and your height. Yes, an easy way that you can remember, especially if it's if you know pounds over kilos, is about half of your body weight in water is is acceptable. And I try to tell people too, you know, make small changes. If you're not drinking enough water, then it's okay to just start slow. And I think the success of, of getting to that point of, of, of um, having the right amount of water for your body will, will come. It will come. And I also add that if you exercise, you need to increase that as well to kind of balance from the perspiration, etc. And um, so now that a woman is pregnant, what do you recommend during pregnancy in regards to her own health as you know, as far as her dental health, but also for the baby that's growing? Well, I guess primarily, all of the factors that I referred to before is ensuring that your diet is rich in vegetables that you keep up your vitamin and mineral content there's lots of prenatal vitamin supplements out there mm -hmm. watching blood sugar is also an important one if your blood sugar if you're low in vitamin d i think that can predispose you to gestational diabetes potentially so all the factors that i referred to before is ensuring your critical vitamin and minerals are maintained and if you do suffer from morning sickness maybe there's some sort of drink you can take that you are able to tolerate to ensure that you don't get depleted also ensuring that your dental health is well looked after there has been a few studies linking gum disease in pregnant women to low birth weight babies mm -hmm. and also ensuring sleep is of good quality as well. Sleep apnea during pregnancy is quite common. So if you never snored before and you suddenly start snoring, that is something to be 
aware of because that can also affect the health of the developing baby. So sleep apnea is defined as when you stop breathing during the night for 10 seconds or more, and this happens more than five times an hour. This is problematic. Uh, this would suggest oxygen deprivation, which can potentially compromise the growing child. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that we've had an opportunity to talk a little bit about sleep apnea in everyone and how it affects their their body, uh, especially those that already are supposed to be on a CPAP or some sort of uh, treatment, but they ignore it. it. I just want to put it out there. Don't Don't ignore what your physician has recommended in regards to your care for sleep apnea, no matter who you are, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yes, it probably will go away when the baby is born, but it's really important to make sure you have adequate oxygen while you are growing another human being. (laughs) That's so true. And now the baby's born. And as a pediatrician, I get lots of questions. And you and I talked a little bit before the podcast that there's so much information out there. I feel that any caregiver is really scrambling to understand what is the best way to take care of their baby's teeth, not just to prevent decay, but to promote good gum health, promote healthy teeth as well, but also good alignment. And that starts in the beginning, correct? So yes, that starts at birth. Firstly, if you can breastfeed, then by all means, that is the best way to help develop the child's teeth and jaws. And I say this as the mother of three boys who wasn't great at breastfeeding any of my babies. So once again, I don't want to add to the guilt of new mothers by saying you must breastfeed because I'm well aware it is not entirely possible. Agree. However, if I'd known what I know now, I would have known more about lip ties, latching problems and so forth, and perhaps I might have sought more help. So at birth, they can check for tongue ties. So if you are consistently having problems with latching, it might be that your baby has a tongue tie, potentially a lip tie as well, but lip ties are rarer and they're not treated as often because children can usually grow out of them but a tongue tie may need to be released. And this can be done quite easily when a baby's born. There's doctors that would do it with a laser. It depends where in the world you are. Mm-hmm. And releasing that tongue, depending on how severely it is tied, will also allow it to have mobility and movement in the, t- in the mouth. So the tongue plays a crucial role in helping develop the shape of the upper jaw so that it can accommodate the rest of the teeth. So we ideally want the tongue to be resting flat against the roof of the mouth. I will say that if you have been advised to give your baby a dummy from the age of zero to six months, this may be crucial to help maintain their airway. So if the hospital has made that recommendation, then don't take away the dummy. Your baby might need it. Please explain what a dummy is. Oh, I think you call it a pacifier. Yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. That's I didn't want to assume, but I think that that is true. Can you talk a little bit more about the benefits of a pacifier? Because so many feel guilty for using it if it's even if it's recommended. I will say I don't know too much about the benefits of it. I would just say I think it might help the baby keep their mouth open to help support their breathing. You may have a baby that is just not able to breathe well through their 
knows for whatever reason. So it will essentially keep them alive. I know that beyond the age of six months, ideally you do want to get rid of the pacifier. I will also say that if your baby is born and they seem to be laboring to breathe, they are snoring like you can hear them breathing quite loudly newborns do grunt a bit when they sleep but if they seem to be laboring to breathe probably a good idea to get them checked by an ear nose and throat specialist because they could potentially be suffering from sleep apnea as well and i think undiagnosed sleep apnea can be um, one of the causes of sudden infant death syndrome so just something to be aware of ideally you want your baby to be breastfeeding sleeping with their lips together breathing through their nose that is the ideal we aim for. When it comes to cleaning the gums and then potentially the teeth once that first tooth, but let's let's start about gums because they spend much of their first months of life with no teeth. And whether they're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, do you have thoughts about how and when or if it's even necessary? Personally, I don't actually feel that it's necessary to clean the gums. My colleagues may well differ from me here, but if the baby is having exclusively breast milk or exclusively formula, then I just feel that they're swallowing it. There's no dental enamel that could potentially decay. I I don't see the value in cleaning the gums myself. And then once the teeth come through, what? how do you recommend they they clean it at that point. And once the teeth come through, which quite often is around the time that we're starting to give supplemental foods around six to 12 months, how do you recommend cleaning the teeth at that point? Well, you could just use a clean flannel and, and wipe them. But a lot of children will just start off with just a single tooth or two. And you can even visually see if the tooth needs to be cleaned once again i know a lot of my colleagues will recommend right from the beginning just get a flannel in there and wash the teeth or wipe them personally i don't know if i ever actually did with my children probably more out of laziness than anything or exhaustion um but that is something that you can do if you did give them something sugary which i wouldn't recommend below the age of 12 months i don't think children need it mm-hmm. fruit is it the most sugary thing they should be having is fruit. There's no reason for them to have any processed sugar. Then definitely. But otherwise, um, once they get their full set of teeth, which usually happens, I guess it varies from every child. My children were very late, so about 18 months to two years old. Then you can start using a little toothbrush on them and teaching them how to brush their teeth, getting into those habits. I personally don't recommend using toothpaste until they're five or six because their spitting reflex is not fully developed at that point. Mm -hmm. So I have concerns about them swallowing the toothpaste. And a lot of dental cleaning is dependent on the mechanical action of of the actual cleaning process. And they can also clean their teeth with fibrous foods. Things like apples and vegetables have good cleaning properties as well. I think you mentioned one other time, even cheese. That's correct. So cheese has an alkalizing effect on the saliva. So just say they've had something sweet, you can follow that up with a small cube of hard cheese. I will also say if you have a child that's had to have a lot of antibiotics, either at delivery in the early stages of life, 
that can compromise the adult teeth. So for example, my youngest child needed to have IV antibiotics for a, a blood infection when he was two. Unfortunately, I didn't realize then the implications, but that has really compromised the health of his developing adult teeth. So I would suggest if that is your child, then just make sure that you give them probiotics where you can just to help protect their gut bacteria and once again supplement with vitamin D, which I didn't do. The We usually recommend starting vitamin D, especially in breastfed babies, very shortly after birth, as, as soon as possible. Again, I try not to make a family who's just brought home a newborn rush to the pharmacy. I'll send the, the prescription or make the recommendation and say, start it as soon as you can, but you know, don't, don't feel like you have to go right away, but you know, just again, to kind of relieve some stress, but we do try to start it as soon as possible after birth and continue, especially I'm in Ohio where there's most of our days do not include sunlight. And of course, we I don't rem- recommend direct light in an infant anyway, in that case. So again, going back to the vitamin D and how important that is. So when the baby's starting to feed, the recommendation is to use baby led weaning. So I don't know about you, but when I was raising my babies, I had puree, I would spoon it into their mouths, get them as much food as possible. And then I would wipe the side of their cheeks with the spoon to clean it. Mm -hmm. That is not recommended anymore because that stimulates the tongue to, it encourages that rooting reflex, which you no longer want in an older child. That rooting reflex is starting to phase out. So the baby led weaning helps develop the, the jaws and helps also develop tongue mobility as well. So I know there would be concerns. I would certainly have concerns as a young mother that my child wasn't getting enough nutrients and basically not getting enough food to keep them asleep throughout the night because that's all we aim for as young mothers, right? To, To make our children full so they give us a full night's sleep. Yes. So it's fine to follow up with the puree, but just remember not to wipe the cheeks afterwards. That's really good to know. When I first heard about baby led weaning, I thought it was about weaning off the breast and I was very worried. But then I realized that it's really about just introducing those supplemental foods. And I call them supplemental because prior to 12 months of age, they're just learning how to eat. And so it is not the main part of their nutrition at that point until really after 12 months of age. And so I always try to have families relax and just take their time. And that's what I love about the baby led weaning process. I do have a question. What would you tell others about the first time a child or infant or child should see the dentist? So once again, the opinion will vary. I will sometimes see newborns or even one-year-olds come in with their their siblings or their parents. And at that age, I like to establish that the baby's palate is developing well, mm-hmm. that their nose breathing. 
And the reason why palate development is really important at that age is if they have a small narrow palate, that means the nasal passages that sit above the palate are going to be quite narrow. So that can potentially compromise their ability to nose breathe, to take in as much oxygen as ideal. But it also means that the baby teeth are going to be quite crowded and close together, which also then means that the adult teeth will almost certainly be crowded as well. So we want to start by creating really great foundations at an early age. And also there has been some research linking mouth breathing to increase levels of anxiety because the sympathetic nervous system is always switched on. Mm. So if you have a child that's growing up in a state where the sympathetic nervous system is always switched on, that's going to affect their ability to absorb nutrients, to grow and to thrive and to develop academically, socially, every aspect of life. That is excellent information. And I think people don't think about that. Again, that goes back to that mind, body, mouth, and how crucial all of those things work together. I always say that we have to focus on things that start here all the way down, you know, and how important it is in our lifestyle in general. And I try to encourage, encourage the parents or caregivers, whoever's taking care of their family, because their optimal health will ultimately affect the child's optimal health. If they're modeling behaviors that they want their child to then pick up, it's it's much easier. And so my mission has always been with my podcast is to really help those that are taking care of children. What do you think about, sometimes I'll see in my practice, those kids, I know it's not dental caries or tooth decay, but there's those little black spots and parents will bring it to my attention. And it's almost like it's something that is on the teeth. And I usually just refer to the dentist, but I'd be interested in what your thoughts are about that, especially in an infant under 12 months of age. Look, I can't say I've seen too much of it in an infant under 12. It does happen occasionally, but usually it's just a stain of some sort or a developmental anomaly. If if the spot is not sticky to probe, then I'm happy just to keep an eye on it and monitor it. If it's sticky, then it means there's some decay starting there and it's something I do want to deal with. So referring or seeing a dentist is still the best route in regards to taking care. I would say so, because you want to just make sure that's not early decay starting. When it comes to the practice of brushing, how do you recommend that we all brush? So brushing is a habit that people have had for a number of years. And I even ask my adult patients because they may have never been taught. So The way I always teach my patients to brush is to think of their mouth divided into, I guess, thirds. So you and you want to brush each section differently. So this is a bit hard because it's audio. But so I would do six circles on the gums of my teeth and my teeth starting at the back top left. And then I would come across to the middle and then go across to the top right. I would do the same on the outside surfaces of the bottom. Then I would brush the top surfaces and then go again on behind. So where I find a lot of people miss is they don't do behind the teeth. 
And the other tip is to turn the brush into a rectangle shape so you can easily fit behind those small front teeth because they can be hard to get to. Hmm. And brushing the teeth as well as the gums, I mean, sorry, the gums as well as the teeth is a really important one. Some people who have inflamed gums will find that their gums bleed, but that is just a sign that the gums are inflamed and need to be brushed more. It's not like any other part of the body where it's a wound that's being picked and that you need to leave it alone. You need to brush that area more. And the other important tip is circular brushing. A lot of people brush side to side and up and down which is the traditional way we were taught to brush, I guess. We want to brush in circles. You get much better plaque removal when you brush in circles. And then I was taught that is for children, as soon as the teeth come together, that that is when you should start flossing. But I know that you mentioned when we did our podcast previously that this realistically should be only for children who are getting their adult teeth, that the primary teeth should be far enough apart. And if there are, if they are not, that could be a sign that there's a problem. Is that correct? That is correct. And once again, not all my colleagues would agree with me on that as well, because sometimes things can sort themselves out because the jaws do have a growth spurt when it comes to puberty. However, I guess it's an indication that there could be a potential problem. I guess I could compare it to like if you took a blood test from a patient and their insulin levels were a little bit high, that could be an indication that that patient may have diabetes in the future. So when I see baby teeth close together, that is an alarm bell for me that this child's adult teeth may be very crowded. And then I need to implement measures to prevent that depending on the level of crowding. Okay. Okay. And it's amazing that we really take for granted the alignment of our teeth and our breathing, like, like you mentioned. I think that's not something that we talk about enough. So just to unpack that a little bit more, the way I have been taught to believe that works, if you have your mouth open, then your tongue is resting primarily in your lower jaw, or it's resting between your top and bottom teeth. So it's not applying pressure to help develop the top palate. And then you end up with a child who generally has a long face shape, not always, but that can happen. It's called a dolichofacial face type and they may well have crowded teeth. The severity of the crowding really depends on how often the child has their mouth open. But you can also see this in tongue-tied kids as well because their tongue just doesn't have the, the capacity to rest on the top jaw. It's tethered so tightly to the floor of the mouth. And I'll tell you, as you're speaking, I'm evaluating my own tongue position as we're talking. <laughs> Is there anything else that you feel would be important to let families know about taking care of their mouth, their alignment, and their body? I think one of the really important things is to keep it really simple. I have a lot of patients asking me, what toothpaste should I use? And I remind them that toothpaste is actually a modern day invention. And we didn't have anywhere near the amount of dental decay that we have now until the advent of processed foods. Mm. So keep it really simple. Go back to basics. 
Breathing through your nose is important, not just for dental alignment and for maintaining general well-being, but also to protect your mouth from dental decay. So there was a study that showed that if you breathe through your mouth for four hours or more, that can lower the pH of your saliva to a level which triggers the commencement of dental decay. So in some families that I see, they'll have an identical diet, siblings will be fine. However, there's one child, the mouth breather, who keeps presenting with dental decay. So that is something I do alert the parents to. And I I completely empathize that mouth breathing is not something you can just rapidly fix overnight. It, It is a process. It may be eliminating foods that are triggering an inflammatory reaction. It may be that a surgical intervention is required to remove the adenoids or the tonsils. So in the meantime, I recommend using a calcium enriched milk based product that we have over here in Australia. It's called tooth mousse. You probably have something similar in the States and they just apply that on the tongue before they go to sleep. It helps enrich the mouth with calcium. If I have a child that is suffers a really high rate of decay, then I will recommend the fluoride enriched version of the tooth mousse as well. What I love about the way that you practice, Dr. VJ, is you're getting to the root cause of what could be causing the decay versus just fixing it. That's what I try to do. I think a lot of modern medicine can be very reactive. We see a problem, we fix it. Mm -hmm. Then we see the same problem over and over again. And that did frustrate me in my younger years. I remember seeing a patient come in and he had broken teeth. And then I looked back on his records, he'd been seeing my boss at that time, broken teeth, broken teeth, broken teeth. And I said to him, has anyone spoken to you about grinding your teeth? Do we know what's causing them? No, just come in, fix the tooth. It's like being a mechanic, I guess, fixing, fixing broken bits of teeth, like fixing a car. But I like to empower my patients to feel that they have control because a lot of people feel very vulnerable when they come to the dentist, especially if they have problems, they almost feel like they're just a victim of circumstance. So I really focus on education, just simple tips like having the cheese after you've had something sweet or a lot of people finish their evening meal with a glass of wine. I had a patient who was doing that repeatedly and kept coming on with decay. And then I realized it was the wine at the end of the night that he was drinking over two or three hours because it is a prolonged exposure to the sugar source or the acid source that causes the problem, not necessarily the quantity. He could have those two to three glasses of wine, but if he had them within half an hour, which wouldn't be good for other reasons, (laughs) but if he had them within half an hour, then they wouldn't have the same detrimental effect on their on his teeth as him sipping it over a prolonged period of time. I know that's when we were talking before about wiping the mouth, what came to before baby goes to bed, for example, or after they've nursed or had a bottle, we still do recommend not putting the baby to bed with a propped bottle. There's so many reasons even um, socially why we shouldn't do that as well because of bonding and holding and just the whole experience of feeding and all the senses that are needed, but also because of that that bottle sitting in the mouth for a long period of time, et cetera. So that made me think of, of that as well. 
That does also remind me to just point out, I know a lot of babies are breastfed through the night. It's important that the baby doesn't fall asleep on the breast. And the same thing applies to the bottle because it's the pooling of the milk in the mouth that can cause tooth decay. By all means, I think breast milk is great if your baby needs it through the night. Feed them, of course, yes. but just make sure they unlatch so the milk is not pulled. I have seen a number of young children come through and the only causative factor I can attribute their decay through is that they fell asleep on the breast. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I just want to mention to everyone that Dr. Vijay has been wonderful with working with my schedule. And I just I find this information so valuable for families all over the world. And so I'm grateful and honored that we've had this time to speak together. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And don't forget to listen to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah, as well as Mind, Body, Mouth, wherever you listen to your shows. And let's grow up together. <music>